All right, let's dive right into it. Okay, this is uh, this is John. Uh, he's an elder at this point. Um, most theologians point out that he was, used to be a disciple of Christ. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, tension on was is this a different John or is this the Apostle John? I've read so many different commentaries and. Uh, there are some theologians that believe it was a different John. I personally, after all the reading that I read, I believe that it was the same John, the Apostle John. And, uh, and most theologians believe that as well. And so now he's, uh, he's older at this point. He's a grandpa, all right? He's a grandpa, and, uh, and he's overseeing some churches. He's an elder, and uh, he's just full of love and um, and, he, and he's concerned. Uh, he's actually concerned because there's some false teachers that have been coming to the church. Now, it's interesting because in those days, they didn't have a church building like we have. Um, they, they all didn't come out of their homes and out of their apartments like we do and come to a church. That's not how they did church. They did not have a building. Um, uh, they, there was a temple but only the Pharisees and the Sadducees would go there and they would debate and, uh, and, and they would raise up young apostles and disciples. But it was not a traditional place of worship like what we do. And so what they would do is they would meet in smaller groups inside multiple houses. And um, uh, then they would come out of their houses and gather sometimes. But for the most part, they met in homes. And that's why we have life groups that, that are in the fall and in the spring. We actually stole the idea out of the Bible. It's kind of an awesome thing. So, um, and so you can look forward to that in the fall. But, uh, so he's writing a letter here and he's saying, look, some of you guys in your homes, when you get together to study the Bible, there's some people in those homes that are false teachers. And I want to just throw a flag on the field and say, hey, I'm very concerned about these false teachers. And so I'm going to talk to you about four things. Uh, he goes in, in this whole book. Number one is the engagement. Anyone here engaged? Is there anyone here engaged? You guys are engaged. Yes. Stand up. Stand up. Go ahead. Stand up. Turn around. Let's clap for them. They're engaged. Woo! Did you get down on one knee? Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I read a statistic recently that I think it's 35% of all proposals happen over the phone. Don't boo too hard. The person next to you may have proposed over the phone. And that would be awkward. So I'm just saying. You don't know. Maybe he was on one knee over the phone. That doesn't count. No, no. Okay. All right. So, uh, so the first thing, we're going to talk about the engagement process that the church has with God and, and how that works out. And, and then we're going to talk about truth, on how the truth uh, is inside of you, okay? It's inside of you. So there's an engagement process, and then there's truth that leads the engagement process, okay? So there's the engagement, and then truth causes this marriage to come together. But then there's also kids involved. John begins to mention kids. So we're going to talk a little bit about kids. So the engagement, the truth on how that leads us and guides us. We're going to talk about kids, and then he finishes off the book, a.k.a. the chapter, with love. 
Okay, so engagement, truth, kids love. Engagement, truth, kids love. Here we go. Let's talk about the engagement process. Second uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to the chosen lady. Huh. Now, when I was studying, I just stopped reading and started writing. As soon as he said, I'm writing to the lady. I'm writing to the lady and to her children whom I love in the truth and does everyone else who knows the truth. So I'm writing to the lady. So if, if, we, if, if John was our elder and he was writing a letter uh, to our church, he would say, I'm writing to the lady, which is fascinating um, because the church in the scriptures is a type and shadow of a lady. Um, it's not incredibly unique because when you refer to a country, most often you refer to that country as the lady. Um, uh, even our statue, uh, the Statue of Liberty, is a lady. So it's not in incredibly uncommon. But the whole point of uh, of John saying this is to remind us that there is an engagement that is set on God's calendar. And so when God sees us and the way he sees the relationship with him and the relationship with all Christians being the church, the way he sees that coming together, the only verbiage that he can find to help us understand what is going to take place is to use the same vernacular as a marriage. Now watch this. The Bible says that when you get married, two people become one. All right? Two people become one. Are you guys ready? Let's go on a little mental ride. This is going to be so intense. I don't know if I'm going to be able to follow myself. <laughs> All right. When Jesus was walking on the earth, he says, when you see me, you see the father. I and the father are one. He says this, when you, no, when he prayed, he said, God, I want you to be in them just like I am in you. And so there's no difference. There's, there's a mingling. There, there's two becomes one. And so what he's saying is, I am going to step into you and be in you. And there, I am going to be in you just as if we are one person. Now. If I were to say um, your heart or your stomach or your liver, that is a part of you. That is in you. That is yours. There's no difference between my skin and me. It's a part of me. I am, we're, we're, I'm all in this thing. Or my spirit, my soul, my, my emotions. It's all in me. It's tangled up inside of me. And Jesus is saying this, when you and I meet each other in heaven, we will be like my father and I. 
Are you with me? And so when, when, when John says to the lady, he's saying in so many words, don't forget what your destiny is. There's going to come a moment where you and the Father are going to be just like Christ and the Father. You are engaged to be married. Right now, you're separate. Right now, you're separated. But there's an engagement coming. Now, let me see, let's jump back. When people get engaged nowadays, most of the time, they live in the same town and in the same city. Most of the time. Um, and, and when they get married, they're kind of, they, 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 it's very different than when they used to get married in the Bible days. In the Bible days, in the ancient days, if you propose to a woman, you actually leave them for a little while. You get down on your knee, you give, you propose, or however they did it in those traditions, they, they're engaged. Once they're engaged, the man goes away. He leaves her. And he goes and starts building a house, a home. He gets himself a lot. He gets himself, he gets himself together. The bride doesn't know when he's going to come back. They didn't have cell phones. They didn't have pagers. They couldn't FaceTime with each other. They didn't have a post office. And so he's gone and he's over preparing a house because he's not going to live in his mom's house or in her mom's house. He's going to go prepare a house. And so he says to her, hey, I'm going to come back right now. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for us to live. Pretty soon I'm going to come back. I'm going to get you. And, and when I come back, I want to believe that you've been faithful while I've been gone. Don't be hanging out at the pool hall with Jimmy. I want you to be faithful. And, and I want, not only do I want you to be faithful, but I want you to be expectant. I want you to anticipate me coming back because I'm over here working on this house and I don't want you over here going, hey, with some guy, right? I, I want, I'm over here building a house and, and I don't want you over at the gym flirting with some dude. I'm not here. So when I come back, I want to assume you've been faithful and you've been anticipating. You're excited about me coming. I don't want you looking out the window going, dear God, don't let them come today. Dear God, please don't come today. Don't come today. I'm over here preparing a place. I'm getting a house. And, 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 and this is why he calls us his bride because that was the culture. And that's why Jesus said, look, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. He's going to prepare a city. Not just a little cabin on a hill. A city. For eternity, he's saying, I'm going to come back for you. And so that's what John's saying here. Is he's saying, look, um, you're the lady and her children, the, the local church and the members of the church. That's what he's saying. Isn't the Bible so interesting and fascinating? Isn't it fun to learn the Bible? Um, so it, it's an indication of be ready. Now, uh, it's interesting because I've done some premarital counseling um, with some couples. James Allen our marriage and family counselors here. Why don't you stand up and wave at everybody? If you need counseling, he's phenomenal. 
And, uh, uh, but what I did just for fun is, is I decided to, to grab from my notes and, and from miscellaneous um, questions that I've seen. Some of them, I, actually I only use like two of these. Um, but I grabbed ten random questions that you ask people in premarital counseling to find out if they're ready for marriage. Isn't this interesting? All right, so here we go. Here's a song. Do you guys share a song? Now, I've never really thought that that was like a a box that needed to be checked in order to be married. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Do you share a song? I, you know, actually, no. You're done this marriage is going to fail. I, I never, but, but somebody did. Um, here's the next one. How long are your in-laws allowed to stay in your house at one time? I thought that was an interesting question. Here's another question I found. Are you of legal age to get married? It seems to be important. Um, Do you know why you would be a good mate? Hmm. If you were not you, would you encourage someone to marry you? (laughs) That's a good question. It's like, no, to be honest, I'm a slob, I don't have a job, and I like to steal. (laughs) I wouldn't marry me. Uh, Here we go. Uh, once married in a four-week month, how often should you guys attend church? That's a good question to ask. Did you guys, have you guys discussed this? All right, all right, just making sure. Do you guys have a song? What is it? <laughs> is it Celine Dion? Go on. All right, here we go. You can sing it, absolutely. All right, here's a, here's a question. How many times... A month, do you plan to have sex? It's always interesting because the number is always different. (laughs) All right. Which, by the way, uh, anyone here know the name Jack Hayford? Jack Hayford. All right. Jack Hayford is by far one of the most honored pastors in the country today, okay? He's like 80-something years old, and he's got a Bible college. I mean, he is one of the, the most respected pastors. Well, he was doing a conference one time, and he was talking about marriage. And he says, every single marriage here, you guys should be having sex often. And then he opened it up for question and answer, and somebody said... <laughs> No doubt it was a guy. How often is often? How many times is often? And, and of course, Pastor Jack Hayford was like, you know, often is different for everybody, right? He didn't get away with it. No, 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 no. How many times per week would you recommend? Everybody starts laughing like you are. And they get awkward like you are. (laughs) don't you love coming to celebration church (laughs) it's like a box of chocolates right you never know what you're gonna get so so how often how many times 
And he he goes, look, I don't want to put a number out there. He goes, but I will say this. I've never seen a couple get a divorce that was having sex twice a week. Of course, all the men in the room were like, yes! All the women in the room were like, oh, dear Lord Jesus. All right, so anyway, just put that in your pipe and smoke it. Okay. Number eight, how much debt is permissible? It's a good question. That's a good question, right? You got to agree on debt, right? Are you going to use any of these, Pastor James? Probably. Probably. Probably, Number nine, how should the household duties be divided? Some of these, you may never make it down the aisle, right? Because the guy's like, what do you mean divided? Divided by what? Divided by two? (laughs) And how does that fall? All right. Uh, I think I I just had this nervous feeling that I was going to cause some uh, heated discussions on the way home tonight. Church isn't really working out the way I hoped that it would tonight. All right. Number 10. This is the big one. This one is so big. It actually had a, a multiple choice to it. <laughs> it says this. What I'm going to I actually cut and pasted it exactly the way it read, okay? Cuz I about fell out of my chair. It says, "What circumstances would you cheat and don't you dare lie?" <laughs> right? It's got A, B, and C options. You guys want to hear? Everyone's like, Never had so many people listening so intently. A, I'll never cheat on my spouse, even if they got physically mutilated, abusive, or cheated on me themselves. It's A. B, if my relationship got really bad and someone much more attractive, richer, and compatible came along, I might consider cheating. C. If someone really attractive came along, I could see myself being seduced. I'm noticing rich is like a common thread in here. D. If my spouse... I'm not going to read D. I changed my mind. But you get my point. (laughs) Uh, So that was interesting. It was like, hey... Uh, under what circumstances would you cheat? That's interesting. These are questions that take place in premarital counseling. Or should take place in premarital counseling. Some of them are kind of stupid and they have no business in premarital counseling. Some of them are serious and should. I don't know about you, but I would like somebody to... If, if, if I were getting married, which I'm already married, happily married, I would want somebody to... Ask my fiance in front of me, would you consider cheating underneath certain circumstances? I would be like, I'm all ears. Wouldn't you? Are you with me? And and all these questions are geared to say, are you ready to get married? Are you ready? And here's the question that I would ask you tonight. Are you ready? Because your bride is gone, your groom is gone to prepare a place for you. He's going to come back. Are you ready? 
Are you ready? Have you been faithful? Are you expecting him? Are you anticipating him? Um, all right, since I've spent 20 minutes on point number one, I've got to cruise through point number two and three. Here's the second point that he brings up. Truth. He says this. He says uh, um, in, in uh, number two, verse two, because the truth lives in us and will be with us forever. Now, what he's saying here is that it's, it's in you. Now, I heard this growing up. Uh, how many people here have ever stolen anything? Come on, let's be honest. My hand's up. I've stolen stuff. Come on, put your hand up. Come on, put it up real high. Some of you are like, I don't want to put my hand up. I want you to think I'm perfect. And that's cool. <laughs> put your hand up if you've ever stolen anything or if you've ever lied. Go ahead, put it up real high. If your hand isn't up, it should be up now. <laughs> now you should put your hand up. You've been doing so good until just this moment. Now put your hand up. You know that little sick feeling in your stomach? That's what truth feels like. That's what truth sounds like. Uh, for me, personally, truth guides me by my level of anxiety. For me. Um, my wife and I almost bought a house one time. We actually put money down on the house. We were building the house. We picked out the lot. Allie was picking out the cupboards and the, grand, and the, and the, the countertops, and all, the carpet and all this other kind of stuff. And I couldn't sleep all the time. I was always worried that were we making a right decision? Were we not making a right decision? Were we making a right decision? Were we not making a right decision? And I learned, we ended up walking away from the house and not buying the house. We let it go. We got our money back. This was years ago. And, and it dawned on me that if I ever feel anxious, that's truth trying to guide me away from it. If anxious is when you're trying to put the building together. You're trying to get it together and it just doesn't fit. But that is in you. You know what the Bible says? That truth is inside of you. It's in you. It's in you. You always know what you should do. You always know what's right and what's wrong. It's in you. Look at the person next to you and say, it's in you. It's in you. Uh, number three, kids. He says this, uh, number, uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 4. He says, How happy I was to meet some of your children and find them living according to the truth just as the Father commanded. Now, when I was reading this, I thought to myself, You're happy to meet the kids? Like you showed up, you're visiting in this church, and all of a sudden you're happy to see their kids? Why are you so happy? Why, why, why would you make that a note in this letter that you're happy and then it dawned on me? Because it's hard. Do you know that I was the greatest father to ever exist until I had kids? Before I had kids, I knew everything I, I knew what my kids were going to do. I was, my kids are never going to sit in front of the TV. They're never going to play video games. They're just going to sit around and play math problems. That's all they're going to do. We're going to have math games. We're going to have math games. They're going to read all the time. We're going to read together. They're going to read to me. I'm going to read to them. And we're just going to... And then they were born. 
And now I'm like, dear Lord, just go do something with yourself. <laughs> just go do something with yourself. Any parents in here just say, I'm, I'm with you. Just go do something. Daddy, can I play games on your phone? No. Come on, Daddy. No. No, no. Just go. Here's my phone. Go buy every game in the store. I don't care. You know, you know everything until you have kids, right? And then it's like, oh my goodness. And that's why Paul is saying, man, I I met some of your kids. I was so happy to see that they were living for God. Why is he saying? Because it's hard. It's hard. I, I was allowed. Yes, you must have kids. Yeah, it's hard. I've got a daughter who just turned 10. She's at that age where she is beginning to believe that she's smarter than me. At 17, I used to be a youth pastor. They don't kind of believe that they're smarter. They are convinced that they're smarter. And all adults are stupid. I don't have any teenagers. I just pastored them for a decade. But I got a 10-year-old and I caught her rolling her eyes at me. And I'm like, I will throw this chair right. <laughs> do, do you know what rolling eyes means? That means you're stupid and I'm smart and you're so stupid, I'm not even going to try to explain it to you, Dad. That's what rolling eyes means to me. Now, I'm Italian and Brazilian. That's a mix for trouble. So, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. This is, you just rolled your eyes at me? You just rolled your eyes at me. Allie was brushing her teeth this morning. You know people that always have like a testimony of when they mess up, but it's always like 10 years ago. Okay, well, this happened this morning. <laughs> Allie's brushing her teeth. And she says, Luke. Uh, you need to get dressed, put your shoes on. And of course, she's brushing her teeth while she's saying this. And so Luke goes, (laughs) Oh yeah, you're with me. I went, what? What? That's how you talk to your mother? You don't talk to your... You don't talk to your mother. What is wrong with you kids? Do you, would you eat something for breakfast and all of a sudden you're geniuses? What's wrong with you guys? It's hard to raise kids. Can someone say amen to that? It's hard to. So while I was putting these notes together, I thought to myself, okay, if, if I'm going to be that guy... That, that John, when I meet John in heaven, John looks at me and goes, hey, I met your son because he's here. I know that's a miracle, but your son's here. I met your two girls. Um, here's the thing. I was happy when I saw him. So when I, I sat here as a pastor and I thought, what would be the four things that I would need to do as I'm raising my kids and, and could these four things translate to a parent here in this room that your kids have already moved out of your house? Or could these same four things translate to if your kids are older than my kids, they're teenagers? And so I've got a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 20-month-old. And the 20-month-old actually yelled at me the other day. She told me off. She, she only has four words in her vocabulary, but I could tell by the tone of her voice and the look in her face. 
She was sitting in her high chair, and she wanted to get out, and I took something away that she was playing with so she would eat her food. And, and by the tone of her face and the tone of her voice and her face and what she was doing with her hands, I knew she was telling me off. She went, She just didn't have the words to go with it. So I was like, hold on, hold on. I know what this is. Oh, no. No, you didn't. No, <laughs> This is my house. This is my house. You're going to eat the food or you're going to wear it. <laughs> so we're going back and forth. It, baby, uh, my ba- oh, your baby may not. So how many of you had a baby tell you off before? Yeah, yeah, you go. I see my hands going up. Yeah, when the baby. <laughs> yeah, they're mad and they're, yeah, they just don't have the words yet. All right, so here we go. This is what we do. Number one is to pray for them every day. Now, now, this is something that, that we've got to do. Oh, my goodness, we've got to do it. 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 Let me just say, your prayers for your kids is the only thing that will protect them. Amen. So if you're not praying for your kids, they do not have protection. Do not make the mistake of saying, God loves them. Whether I pray for them or not, God will protect them. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. That's like, if Jesus needed to pray, we do too. Jesus needed to pray. A lot of people don't pray because they just think, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and God loves me, and I'm blessed and highly favored, and everything's going to turn out great. Jesus had to pray. Pray for your kids every day. Number two, model for them what you want for them. Model for them. Model it. Um, uh, there, there's, there's this thing of we teach what we know and we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. I, I got upset at Presley the other day, and I was, was going to look at her with the look on my face that means I'm going to kill you. And as I was turning my head to do it, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, don't do that. She doesn't know that you, do, that you can do that. She doesn't know that you can make that face. She doesn't know that. Don't let her know that you can do that. I got to tell you, what I expose the kids to, what I repeat, the things I keep doing, I can be the pastor. Everybody knows the pastor's kids are the worst ones, right? Why is that? Because it happens on Sunday, but it doesn't happen during the week. All right? We teach what we know, we reproduce who we are. Number three, with raising kids, to talk about Jesus. That's like a taboo subject. You know what taboo subjects are? It's, it's subjects that are too awkward to bring up so you don't bring them up. Like raises. <laughs> right? Promotions. 
You want to talk about a raise with your boss. You want to talk about a promotion with a boss, but there's never a good time. It's taboo. Talking about Jesus can't be taboo. And what I've learned is that it's always awkward for the first two or three times. A taboo subject is only awkward for the first two or three times. After that, it's no longer awkward. Like me and my dad are best, best, best friends. I noticed a couple years back that we haven't told each other that we love each other in like a decade. So I was like, that's not good. So I said, I got to tell him I love him. I got to tell him. And so I was like, hey, dad, I want you to know I love you. Getting those words out of my mouth, I would have had a better chance of like learning French. It was so hard. But now it's a piece of cake. Taboo. You just got to say, if you don't talk about Jesus, we are crazy if we're expecting our kids to live for Jesus. These are, this applies whether your kids live out of the house or whether they're 10 years old. Uh, number four, walk through the rough patches with patience and vision. Walk through the rough patches with patience and vision. I was out to lunch with somebody today. He's got a senior in high school. And he goes, my son, is, he, it will be a miracle if he graduates. It will be a miracle if I don't kick him out of the house. It will be a miracle if he doesn't go to jail. It will be a miracle. He's going through it. I said, look, your son is in a rough patch. You guys are going to look back on this, and this is where the vision comes in. You're going to look back on this in 10 years from now, and you're going to laugh about it. Okay, 20 years from now, you're barely going to remember it. Keep your vision in mind. Keep your vision in mind. Keep the vision in mind. And number two, be patient. Here's the deal. How many of us, my hand's already up, how many of us had a rough patch in high school that we don't want anybody in this room to know about? Come on, put your hand up real high. Some of you are like this. because, Come on, real high. I mean, that's more than half of the room. So when there's things that we did that we're ashamed of. And when they go through a rough patch, some of them go through a rough patch at 40. Hey, patience, vision. Last and final one is love. In first, uh, I'm sorry, in, in Second John chapter 1, verse number 5, it says, I'm writing to remind you, dear friends, that, what we, should, that we should love one another. This is not a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. Now watch this. If you look at his first letter, he brought up love 53 times in five chapters. 53 times. I can't remember. Is there six? No, there's five chapters in 1 John, right? I think there's five chapters. 53 times. Can you believe that? Why is he bringing love up so many times? I'll tell you why. You can come on up, Isaiah. Something clicked. Everybody click your fingers like this. Something clicked. You know when something clicks, everything changes. When he was a young man, when John was a young man, he was walking around with Jesus, with James and John and the other disciples, and Jesus starts indicating that he is going away. He's leaving. The disciples did not understand what he was talking about. James and John went home and told their mom. 
I said, Ma, don't tell everybody, but Jesus is leaving. He says something about going to heaven. Now watch this. Will you go talk to him for us and ask him if one of us can sit at his right hand in heaven and the other one can sit at his left hand? You go ask him. Because if we ask him, he's going to get mad. So you go ask him. And you can read about this when you get home. Uh, It's in, um, let me see, Matthew chapter 20. Because his mother did not know that Jesus was going to be leaving. So how did they find, how did she find out from James and John? So they tell him, look, here's the deal. So all of a sudden the mother shows up to Jesus. And she says, Jesus, in eternity in heaven, can one of my kids sit at your right and the other kids sit at the left? James and John are like, The other disciples overhear the conversation. They get ticked off. Jesus is cool as a cucumber. He looks at the mother and he smiles because I'm sure that's what he did. And then he just starts talking to James and John. It's like, I know what just happened here. I know what just happened here. And so he hears the mother. The mother says, hey, can my boys, one sit at your right, one sit at the left. He looks at James and John and he says, can you drink from the cup that I drink from? So he doesn't even answer the mom. He just looks right at the boys. And so here we got these two boys jockeying to see who's going to be the greatest. And and when you're 19, 21, 22 years old, the only thing you're thinking about is number one. Trying to be number one, jockeying. You're going to have this backdoor conversation with Jesus without the other disciples knowing. You're going to get a reserve spot in heaven and the other disciples aren't ever going to find out. Well, they did find out. But that's how you think when you're 21. No offense if you're 21 years old. But now that he's older... He's advanced in his years. He's figured something out. He's not talking like he used to talk anymore. Now he's talking completely different. 53 times in one letter he's bringing up love. Because he's figured something out. That when you are actively looking for people to love. And it takes practice. Actively doing it. Did I say it takes practice? Or was that just in my head? Was that out loud? It takes practice. Actively doing it. What ends up happening is that you begin to experience God and express God at the same time. Now for those of us in this room that It's hard for you to love people. Don't feel bad. It's hard for you to compliment people. It's hard for you to serve people. It's hard for you to... Don't feel bad. But let's look at the fact. The fact is, is it's very hard to give something that you don't have. It's hard to give love 
when you don't have any love in you. And love can be taken out of you many, many, I feel the Holy Spirit right now. Love can be pulled out of you, withdrawn out of you, like sucked out of you a hundred different ways. I'm not going to go into that, but you can be depleted, love depleted. And so now you have nothing to give. And you know, if, if I'm talking to you, we, we can't tell because all of you look so good and you look nice and you look pretty. So you can cover up your depletedness, if that's a word. So you can't give and you can't express love if you don't have it. And so now what do you do? Experience always comes before expression. So you have to get alone. Pursue God and experience Him for yourself. And now you have something that you can express. Sometimes we put a demand on ourselves to express love, but we don't have anything to give. We got to get alone and experience it. 